You're listening to the Let's Talk Strata podcast hosted by Mark Mercier. Whether you're a tenant, lot owner, caretaker or industry professional, this podcast is for anyone connected with a body corporate or strata title. Tune in every fortnight to hear thought-provoking discussions with industry leaders and experts on topics both practical and technical that will spark your interest. Welcome again to the Let's Talk Strata podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you cutting-edge views from pinnacle industry experts and others involved with pinnacle bodies in all things strata in Queensland. Today, our special guest is Ross Anderson. Ross is the Secretary and Vice President of the Unit Owners Association of Queensland, otherwise known as the UOAQ. Just a little bit about Ross. He's been a member of the UAAQ since 2002, becoming more actively involved when retirement allowed for close retention to the issues being encountered by unit owners like himself. Ross has been an active member of the UOAQ in advancing issues that affect unit owners in Queensland and has become increasingly so involved with helping other members also achieve sound management of their unit complexes, of course within the ambit of the strata laws. Welcome Ross, it's a great pleasure to have you on board today. Now Ross, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in uh, the strata industry. Well, my wife and I first bought a unit in 2002 and I just joined the UOAQ, just why wouldn't you? Mm. And my involvement with them for about 14, 15 years was more as an interested spectator. I didn't take a great deal of interest in the what was happening in the body corporate. I went to the meetings and voted and stuff like that. But every now and then I'd ring up the, the association, ask them a question and get a bit of guidance. And then about four or five years ago, not long after I retired, I started looking a little bit closer at what was happening in the complexes where my wife and I owned units. And things didn't seem to be right and a little bit different to the way I'd experienced management practices in my professional career, and uh, which was a combination of law and, and management. So I started asking questions. The answers I was getting didn't seem to ring right. So I went to the association and I sat down with some of the senior members there and they said well go and check this and go and check that and I kept saying well what you're telling me can't be happening and they'd say well go and check it anyway and I'd come back in a little while later and said well you're right it is happening mm-hmm. and they'd say go and check this and I'd say that won't be happening and I'd come back and say it is. Right. So I just got drawn into it more and more and it was mainly about self-interest about making sure our units our complex has been managed correctly and then I started going to the Unit Owners Association executive meetings and listening there and realised that I wasn't alone and a lot of the problems were systemic across the state and they're endemic. What kind of problems did you encounter early on in, in your uh, time with the uh, UOAQ there? Most of the early issues were just about money management. Um, Money was flowing into the body corporates who were sitting in accounts which turned out to be owned by the body corporate manager, even though it had our name on it. And large sums were sitting there in those accounts, the um, transaction accounts, or we call them check accounts, where no interest was being earned. Someone was getting the benefit of it, directly or indirectly. We weren't. And when I go back to the committees, they weren't aware of it either. And then I'd go and find out, well, who owned these accounts? Who were the signatories on the accounts? And... We weren't. 
the secretary and the treasurer and the president, chairman of our associations, or the, sorry, the um, of the complexes, they were, had no interest and had no access to those accounts. That concerned me with my financial and professional background. So just other issues and what I found is a lot of things you do on a day-to-day basis in your own life, and I call it like you ask the Harvey Norman question, like mm. what's the best price we can get for this? A lot of committees weren't asking that question of the things that were happening in their complexes. And why was that, do you think? I, I really don't know. And I, I think what happens when you ask them that, they get a bit defensive too because I think they realise they should have been, right. but they don't. And I think what happens, partly the reason, is that people come in and join the committee, they get absorbed in that culture, but they're getting absorbed into a culture where steady as it goes, don't ask too many questions, just go with the flow. And my sense of going with the flow is the only fish that go with the flow are the dead fish, and I'd rather <laughs> check the current and you know swim against the current, and that's just my personality. So. Yeah, and look, it goes it goes against the whole idea of acting in the best interest of the body corporate, yes, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. It isn't necessarily in the best interest. It may be. I think a lot of committees work on the basis of things are steady, things are being well managed. And mm. That is not my experience, and. I'd moved from the, the money management and started looking at the compliance. Mm. And, um, and it wasn't easy because who do you go to? The, the lawyers, the professional lawyers, the strata lawyers, they're expensive. Mm. They, in those days, even just four or five years ago, they tended to represent, represent the body corporate managers or the caretakers where the money was, which is natural. Yeah. There weren't a lot of people actually working on our side of the the argument, the owners, whatever. And I have a law background, but I started looking at this legislation we've got, and it is not easy to get into. It's uh, complex and and it's very comprehensive because it created a whole new world, you know, about 30, 40 years ago when Mm. they brought the Act, or 30 years ago, where they created something which didn't exist. And everything hangs off the Act. And... Even the way it's structured, it's very hard to to find the law. You need to know the main act. You need to know your own module within, under that legislation. And we also had a lot of adjudications, a lot of a judicial law. So we had the statutory law on one hand, which is not easy to get into. We had the judicial or a judicial law on the other side, building up over those years. Mm. And no one was actually putting it together into one narrative. Like, um, I come, as I said, from a law background, you want to learn about the law of torts, you go to the standard textbooks. You want to learn about the law of contract, you go to the standard textbooks, which will look at whatever the law is from statutory side and what the judicial law is, and that gives you a narrative to understand it. Until a little while ago, like only a few months ago, we did not have that. And it was very hard. And there are a lot of um, people out there giving us advice so the body corporate managers and caretakers and whatever, that it turns out that it wasn't right. It just simply wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And often that wasn't because it was deliberate. It generally wasn't deliberate. It's just they didn't know either. The other added problem was you could go to the body corporate commissioner's office and ask advice, and they do a magnificent job given the resources they've got and also given the fairly narrow brief they've got, which is not to give legal advice, just yes. to remind you what the law is. And once again, until very recently, they tended to focus on paraphrasing the legislation without adding in 
And this is what the adjudicators are saying it means, because the two put together gives you the picture. Well, that's right. It's very fragmented otherwise, isn't it? And, and then you need, need to look at other acts as well. And uh, that provides that added level of difficulty, like uh, when you have to go to the Land Title Act to determine responsibility over the, a particular wall, for example. Where your boundaries are between boundaries. you and your neighbour, between you and the mm. common property. Yeah, you exactly. Need, you need a you need a, a tape measure to work that out at times. We'll drill a hole through the wall, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, in terms of um, uh, unifying the body of law and uh, all the adjudication decisions, and some of the even high court decisions, um, how did the UOAQ cope with uh, managing those queries and inquiries about uh, the law effectively. Just before I answer that, can I respond to a word you said just a minute ago, fragmented? The And this is one of the reasons why the UOAQ has a valid role here. The body corporate managers have their association, professional association, SCA. The caretakers and rental pool managers have their professional association, ARAMA. People within those industries talk to each other through their associations. Unfortunately, the owners are very fragmented. You can have 10 complexes side by side, not talking to each other about their problems and learning from each other. And why that happens, I don't know. We offer a platform which, you know, they can, it's like spokes of the wheel. The spokes are coming into the axis and we are, we'd see ourselves as the axis. Then we can pass the messages out and we are encouraging people to talk amongst themselves out there. How we respond to that is that We've been going since 1978. This is our 40th anniversary. So I'd like to think that we're obviously offering something to someone. Mm, absolutely. Um, until about five or six years ago, our focus was on individual owners. And they'd come to us, we'd respond. All volunteers, but we have now expanded to include 1.5 full-time staff. About five years ago, we realised that if we want to go beyond just reacting to little issues here and there and just giving advice, we wanted to make a difference we needed to talk to the committees because they are generally right or wrong, they are the decision makers in a complex. So we created a new type of membership which was building membership where the committee signs up, pays us a certain amount, like minimum $500 a year and we work with the committees through their issues of compliance with the law, good management practices, good governance because you not only have to make sensible decisions, they also need to provide a level of probity that you're doing it in the right way, not just making this, you know, looking at the smart money. And that has been a big success for us. We give a guarantee that if we can't save you at least the value of your membership fee in the first year, we will hand it back to you. We've never had to do that. Mm. And we generally, um, on our data, we're generally saving units about twelve to fifteen hundred dollars per unit owner per year with that membership just by looking at the stuff. The savings taper off because you know you get in there and you, you work through the issues, you get the get runs on the board very quickly and it's very easy to do. But a lot of people then a lot of the complexes stay with us just to keep in touch and you know put some other thing back into the industry so we can go and help other people as well coming in so mm. well i was going to explore with you exactly the ambit of the uoaq and what it does for its members and the value that it adds there maybe explain a little bit about that we've always put out say annual or six monthly newsletters uh, bright and glossy and they cost a bit of money and send them out. We've also had the telephone service people could ring in. 
we've also realised we need to be more accessible and we need to take the message out, not just wait for people to come to us, we send it out. And we've had a, um, a major development with our software, our system just recently, and we've also escalated the number of messages we're sending out, and the general um, platform for that now is a newsflash. And we're looking to put out, say, one, about every one to two weeks now, on important issues. Could be commentary about legal developments. There was a very important case came out of the Queensland Court of Appeal only last week about the limitation period for recovery of debts owed for, for levies. Very important decision. And um, so we got that out to our members real quickly. And those said, so you got a bit of a breathing space. It's not two point two or two years and two months now, six years. Don't mm. slacken, but you've got the breather. We also talk about of um, um, cases that are coming through adjudications where we're highlighting some of the problems out there. And we also try to, within the realm of defamation, alert our members to some of the players out there whom you might be better to go and seek advice from other people, um, like a, like certain body corporate managers, etc. We also like to put the message out of service providers whom we trust. We know they will do a good job for you. And that leads into one of our services and one of our platforms is that a lot of body corporate managers provide a one-stop shopper service. They have their core activities of looking after the general meetings and the committee meetings, doing the paperwork for that, getting the invoices in, paying the bills, but they've also built a range of services around them to help. And we have found that when we separate the body corporate managers from those service providers and we get the committees to go to truly independent service providers, they generally get better value for money. And You're talking cost and also service. Cost, service, yeah. value. Mm. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's it. And uh, mm. we get quite significant savings. And all you need to do is go through the admin fund budget, go from top to bottom in all the, the big ticket items, and things like lifts, if you have lifts. Massive cost. And to use the management vernacular, room for improvement for a lot of body corporates where they go to a proper independent service. Insurance, we like to, the body corporate, to separate the, the insurance services and the insurer and the brokers from the body corporate manager, go to an independent broker, and generally you'll get a much more valuable service in terms mm. of cost and, and value. There's a whole range of activities like that. Where you're and, and do you think it, there's sometimes a conflict of interest um, when it comes to the body corporate manager acting on behalf of the body corporate, but uh, having quite a lot of self-interest there as well. Conflict of interest may have a legal term, it also has a personal values term. And all you need to do is read the current media print, print media on what's happening with the, so the Haley inquiry, the, in the banking and the insurance companies. They're identifying what they see as quite clearly con conflicts of interest. And I see that happening in our strata world, where the BC body corporate manager is a bit too close to the people providing those services and I mentioned earlier in the piece about people not using normal standard processes to check. I've never understood why any committee would understand a body corporate manager coming along and saying I've got three quotes from external competitors 
and I got a quote from my own company, and mine's cheaper. So they take that, and I wouldn't do that outside. If I wanted to get a house built, I wouldn't ask one builder to go and get quotes from two other builders. I'd go out and get those quotes myself. I um, also would not run the quoting system through that service provider. I'd run that quoting system myself. I'd do blind quotes. You wouldn't be expecting a service provider like a painter to submit the, the quotes through someone associated with my body corporate manager. So always separated. So an issue of convenience, knowledge, and perhaps maybe sometimes complacency on part of the committee. Yep. There's an old management saying too that it's all right to delegate, but you don't abdicate responsibility. You don't mm. just say, you go away and do it and just give me the results. Yeah. And so you're really relying on the ethical behaviour of body corporate manager, I guess, and also caretaker manager in many instances, and in some instances even from the committee as well, committee members who are acting on the body corporate's uh, behalf, and uh, you know, there's the odd broker on the committee, uh, or uh, you know, painting contractor who uh, sees some uh, you know, self-interest there perhaps. Well, maybe not self-interest, but the, you know, perceptions are very important. And when I see that happening, I get concerned. I'd like to check. My experience professionally with designing processes was build the quality and the probity and the good governance into the process to allow you to trust the person involved in that process. Don't just say, I'm going to trust you to do whatever you like. You put in your checks and balances. Like a bank wouldn't just give the key to the safe to everyone saying, we trust you. You build processes, controls into that process, Mm. which allows you to trust people. And in terms of the UOAQ uh, providing advice, um, does it provide advice on perhaps um, best practice? Best practice, yep, yep. Yeah. We put out a newsflash early last year, and the title of it was called When Everyone's Responsible, No One Is Responsible. I sat at a meeting where they're looking at who approved the actual invoices, the actual expenditure, who matched those invoices with the quotes that they originally received. Now, we knew the work was done, but did the, did the invoice match the quote? And everyone said, Oh, we thought that you were looking at it. We thought you were looking at it. It turned out no one was matching the quotes with the invoice. And in this particular case, they only picked it up because the body corporate manager, to his credit, said, that doesn't seem right, that sounds a bit high. So they went back. And that's the type of a management practice you would do in a, in a normal commercial operation. You check, are they charging us what they said they were gonna charge us? And if you don't, it's one way of going broke real quick or losing a lot of money. But it's just, once again, the standard practices if you have in a commercial reality or you have it in your own domestic reality. And um, sadly, it often doesn't happen in a committee system. Yeah, so I guess you're always relying on uh, someone to be clued up on, on these things and actually have the best practices there for the committee to use. Uh, the UOAQ does provide guidance on that um, and you've raised this issue of cross-checking on the financials. Uh, of course it, it goes beyond financials doesn't it? It uh, goes to every aspect of what the committee does uh, from uh, meeting processes to uh, obviously managing maintenance requirements and taking care and due diligence on mitigating on risk and things like that. In terms of the manner in which you give that advice, uh, how does the UOAQ uh, deliver that? We give it 
often just oral. People ring us and we make suggestions. We're also including it in our news flashes, which we send out, and also significant articles would we would include in our three monthly um, newsletters we send out to people now. Mm. But the way in which we pass this message out is we try to say, this is what you would do in your normal life. Why not do it in the committee life? Because if it makes sense with your own money, why wouldn't it make sense when you're managing other people's money? Mm. Another message we put out too is that we have a self-management system in, in our strata world in, in Queensland and volunteers step up to be the committee members. You get a complex that's got 50 or more units and you're looking at a complex, complex. Yeah, it's not easy. And for any committee to assume that they know everything that needs to be known about running that complex, that's delusional. And we really encourage them to tap into either paid externals, professionals, or into the people in their own community. You know, if you have an engineer, a structural engineer leaving there, talk to him about engineering problems. If you have an accountant, talk to him about the accountancy aspects. If you've got a lawyer, talk to the lawyer. And there is a lot of talent in these complexes, and it's not exclusive to the committee. So the committees just need to be more inclusive and more participative and go out and actually invite people into the meetings and find out what, what they can do to help. And the really good complexes that I work with, they do that as a matter of course. And they particularly communicate on a regular basis with their owners, saying, this is what we're doing, this is what's happening. If you've got any feedback, let us know. Whereas too often, it's like this real lager mentality with the, you know, the early settlers in South Africa. As soon as they felt under the threat, they'd circle the wagons and the, the rivals would be pointing out. And that's not the way people work in a professional life these days. The people participate, they consult, they invite people in. That's the way it should be done in a body corporate. Yeah, so it's, it's a matter of um, garnering the, the talents of the body corporate um, maintaining a level of transparency and and really just working together to meet the best interests of body corporate, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Now, in terms of um, the UOAQ, how how does it actually fit into the broader strata perspective? You mentioned SCA and ARAMA. How does it fit in there as a puzzle piece with that fabric there? I think we all have different interests to represent, and but there's no reason why we shouldn't as key stakeholders and other stakeholders like the strata lawyers you know they're a very important part of this picture um, also say the the big financiers the big banks because there's a lot of money floated in our community providing to buy into the units to buy the management rights and all that there is a natural fit that we should all be talking to each other on a regular basis and uh, sharing what we know and also settling any issues we may have and letting the, from our point of view, letting our own owners know what's going on. And very important part of that picture is, of course, the Commissioner's Office. And it would be so important that if whatever we do as a group of stakeholders, to have the Commissioner's stamp on it um, within the limit of what he can say and what, or she can say or can't say, just to give it that cachet so it's not just... Ross Anderson from the UAQ saying this, or Fred from the SCA, the commissioners giving it the stamp of approval. We had a, um, I participated in a webinar yesterday, commissioned by the commissioner's office, just dealing with a very small issue, 
but turns out to be a very political issue and a very emotional issue, access to body corporate records. And I think this is the first one the Commissioner's Office had run by themselves going out to owners and they had hundreds of people registering. Now the, the system was limited to how many people they have actually on it, but I was surprised that so many people were interested in, a number of them quite passionately I could gather, and the issues they raised over one little section in the Act, section 205. And I was thinking, this, I found it quite encouraging that more and more people now are stepping up to the plate, trying to take an interest in what's going on. And obviously some of these people had experienced pushback. They wanted to get their records and all the blockers were put in their path. And now I think we also need to put out some really core messages. I know section 205 has a, a brief beyond the owners in a complex. It's broad, it's interested parties, but just let's look at the owners in a complex. It is their complex, their units, their body corporate records. Why shouldn't they have good access to them if they want to? They might pay a small nominal fee, but why should there be blockers put for them finding out what's going on in their complex? And this turns to the point of accessibility. It also touches on how technology impacts on access to records and security for records. What do you do with records that are quite voluminous and uh, need to be stored off-site. How do you get access to those? It sometimes comes back to the body corporate manager, of course, but uh, you know, does the body corporate keep the archives on-site if it can and have the committee entrusted with uh, accessing those? And then that draws in issues of, well, um, does a lot owner then need to attend two locations to access inspect records and then retention periods for certain records. It's uh, surprisingly complex uh, as you really start to look into it, isn't it? Uh, it, it can be very complex. Mm -hmm. But from a simple mum and dad owner like myself, I think I should be able to go to my body corporate, whether it's to the committee directly or to the body corporate manager, say, I'd like to have a look at this. Uh, we can negotiate reasonable access, how much time and all that, but I really shouldn't be pushed away from looking at that. But it is very complex, yeah. Do you think the fee that uh, is legislated for access to records is a fair fee when, when it comes down to lot owners sometimes requiring quite significant um, access and uh, impulse perhaps on the committee or perhaps even on a body corporate manager? What's your view on that? I can understand the argument that, say, for 66 seven or 65 cents, you just get a copy, one copy, or multiply it by 100 for 100 copies, that it doesn't re represent the true cost of accessing that. I also understand that when um, I, as an owner, access that record and pay that statutory fee, the body corporate manager is quite entitled under their contract to charge an amount to the body corporate for the administrative cost of doing that, so that the cost is spread across the owners. Some of the record keeping systems make it very difficult and some of that is dependent on just what the committee or the body corporate manager has chosen to do. But I think also that the statutory requirements for retention of records and um, maybe not having um, a requirement they be electronically accessible as some of the software systems do, they do make it difficult to administer. The legislation requirements may make it difficult. But that's something we could talk to the government about through the stakeholders, like how can we make it work for everyone? So the owners get to see what they want to see and need to see in a reasonable level, 
but it reduces the administrative costs for the body corporate manager and or the body corporate. Mm, and that raises a whole new level of, of complexity when it comes to body corporate management and uh, the varying degrees in which uh, certain managers have technological capacities uh, to store records, whether it be through a local server or an online cloud server. Um, and you spoke earlier about uh, involvement of the Commissioner's Office and the Body Corporate Commissioner. There might also be inclusion of the Attorney General herself from a legislative perspective to perhaps become involved in some of these kinds of discussions and yep. challenges that present there. Yep. It's in that administrative level, I think there's a lot of opportunity for improvement. And look, let's just accept that, as I said, 30 years ago, so Strata World did not exist. It was created by the legislation. Everything hangs off the legislation. And I was thinking about this when I was driving in here today. Most of the units we saw in those days were three levels high, maybe six packs, ten packs, and you saw the occasional tower. Well, the six packs don't happen these days. It's mainly the towers, eight to ten stories. They are becoming bigger. More and more people are living in them, and it's going to become a bigger issue. And the cost across the community of storing all the records under the current regime, it's just going to become bigger and bigger unless we address it and move to the new technology. And of course the legislation's always behind technology and uh, always takes a little bit of time to catch up there. So how, how would you advocate um, you know, a technological uh, advancement? Uh, is it a matter of simply saying that uh, you know, there's got to be some level of online uh, recording of documentation? I think the recording and the access go hand in hand. It should be easy. And uh, to go through a particular body corporate manager's online port, um, whatever it is, um, I forget what you call it, where you can go and get it, is expensive at the moment and it really pushes people away. It should be cheap because once it's there, the cost of administering the system is not that high and the cost of actually someone accessing it is not that high. It should be cheap. In fact, that may even inform a committee of mm. uh, how it chooses its body corporate manager in terms of how accessible is the record once it's created and uh, how accessible is it to the committee, to lot owners, to any interested party for that matter. The UOAQ through, a, um, through our Treasurer offers a tender process for body corporate managers and that is one of the issues that they address in that tender process. How forward thinking and how up to date are the body corporate managers with that technology? Because it's not just simply who's the cheapest, is who offers the best value for the money. You may pay more for one particular body corporate manager, but he's offering you a better service, a more up-to-date, more long-term strategic. I mentioned before about the difficulties with Section 205. The bulk of the body corporate managers I deal with, they have no problems about just handing over the, act, the records. You know, someone comes in or rings them up, they sends them in an email, they just hand it over. You know, as long as it's done properly, they just hand it over. There's no they often don't worry about the charging or anything. It's only when the requests are voluminous or mm. unreasonable or the body corporate manager maybe wants to make it a little bit difficult for particular owners, that's when you get the problems. I guess you'll never get away from that. But if we had a centralised safe within for a complex, centralised, accessible electronic system where it's just a question, you don't have to interact with anyone, you just go in and get it. It just makes it so much easier. Like, who goes down to the bank these days and pays money to the tellers? You know, you, everything is done electronically. 
Now, I don't see why, and I'm picking up on your point here, Mark, mm-hmm. I don't see why we can't move towards that mm-hmm. and start moving towards it and start engaging with the government to have a system in place that facilitates that. Of course, there's always going to be challenges with that. Uh, you've got things like legal professional privilege uh, in some documents that uh, appear from time to time, and and that requires the body corporate manager to have uh, a little bit of knowledge about uh, you know which documents actually fall into that uh, umbrella there, and uh, how to deal with that type of documentation and adequate security and uh, and all of those complexities that uh, normal document keeping and document management throws up. I, I agree with you and we've partly got the lawyers to thank for this creating complexity you know like you're going to have a high court decision arguing over or discussing whether or not must means maybe you know, mm. whereas people like me think must means must. At that webinar yesterday, there was a reference to the one of the exceptions to access to records that is on legal professional privilege. This was coming from the Commissioner's Office, and this is no reflection on the Commissioner's Office, but no one said in that webinar that legal professional privilege, my understanding at least, is the dominant te- or the main test is dominant purpose. You can have a whole lot of communications between solicitor and client or whatever, but if the dominant purpose of that is not giving legal advice relevant to action or whatever, it's not protected. And I had discussions with a body corporate manager just recently where I wanted access to the invoice from a strata solicitor to the body corporate. And they said it's, it's from the solicitor to the body corporate, therefore it's protected. Well, that's just not correct. And it emphasises what you're saying about complexity. We can have a throwaway line like legal professional privilege. You know, We can go to the textbook on uh, evidence in the law of Queensland written by Dr Forbes mm. and this like, this is a big book, it's about 50 mils thick and there's a large slab in there on legal professional privilege. One of the other exceptions to section 205 and it's a statutory exception is defamation and once again we can have defamation. Everyone knows what defamation is but I can go to my textbook on defamation, it's 50 mils thick and it's a very complex specialised jurisdiction and we're asking body corporate managers to decide before they release documents whether or not it's defamatory. And with respect, most of them wouldn't know. Yeah? Oh, well, I most mean, people wouldn't know. You're yeah. quite right. I mean, the, the extent of knowledge that a body corporate manager needs to have uh, is really quite astounding. And, uh, you know, the, the different jurisdictions on the law that they need to be across, uh, it's simply not possible for a body corporate manager, particularly uh, when you're looking at, uh, you know, perhaps an admin staff member who has stepped into the role to somehow have that complex knowledge and be able to deal with a document that may fall under legal professional privilege or may be defamatory and how to deal with it. Do you go to the defamation legislation or do you go to the actual BCCMA to deal with uh, the matter that's defamatory? And then you've got insurance matters that uh, cut across all of that. Yeah, and then you start looking at, well, which agencies regulate this, if there is anyone regulating. And I've had personal experience with claims for insurance, um, excess premiums and stuff like that. And I got the advice from a very good independent broker, you can go to ASIC, ASIC for that. And I didn't know that until then. And then it's a non-lawyer process. But you need to know and you need to get advice how to, how to work your way through that process. There's a, a lot out there to know. And there are layers of knowledge and I think what's happening of a lot of body corporate managers, as the industry is getting bigger and bigger, and they're getting bigger and bigger, the people at the top in these firms, they know they know their business, but they are bringing in more and more um, people, admin staff, the front of counter, and 
it's a struggle for them to be right on top of the stuff, even just the, the body corporate law. But all the other extraneous laws, it's really, really difficult. Mm, so it comes down to training, doesn't it, uh, of body corporate managers and really across the board, um, gaining that knowledge of, of the basics first. Uh, well, there's training, but there's also the ability of the people to learn. And there's another trend in body corporate world where body corporate managers are undercutting each other. Now, the income coming in is getting lower and lower relative to cost, so they don't pay their staff a lot, and they're not getting the creme de la creme, you know, coming in to work in the BCM. Mm. You pay for what you get, and unfortunately a lot of people have been focusing just on the dollar that they're paying out rather than the value of what they're paying out. Mm, and you mentioned uh, the UAQ does have a tendering service and um, and just bringing back your point about uh, it's not about the cheapest BCM out there but uh, it's about the service and quality of service and the level of knowledge that they will bring to a committee which ultimately does save you dollars in the long run I would imagine. Certainly it does you know the it's it's not only a saving in the administration cost for a complex but if you get a complex that is not functioning very well and they have a body corporate manager that's not really on top of things and you get a, an active owner taking them year in year out for adjudications the costs actual direct costs are high but it also it taints that complex you know more and more people now when they're buying into a unit do a do a proper search they've learned to do that it isn't that expensive and when you see a complex where three or four years in a row there's successful adjudications on points I think it reduces the value whereas mm. you see another complex where no adjudications um, the they've got a real tight control over their levies the building is being managed well and they're getting a lot of professional advice and the value of the units go up so you can save ten dollars here keeping your you know levies down or paying a, a body corporate manager for cheap work but you can not fit 10 grand off the value of your unit so well that's right and um and of course you'd be aware of how body corporate managers charge for their services on a per lot basis so you might have one tender that says say 130 dollars per lot the other one says 140 or 145 dollars per lot but they might offer more extensive service so a lot of owners might say okay well perhaps the 130 dollar per lot's cheaper there's 15 dollars that I have to pay less, but then when you figure it out, it's fifteen dollars per annum across a whole well yeah. across a whole year, yeah. which is negligible. The cost per unit can be quite negligible. Also, the cost per unit of getting in you know, the standard fees around one hundred and thirty dollars per unit or one hundred and fifty. That's just the price to get through the front door. Mm. What they often have is a whole lot of other charges on top of that for disbursements and for extra advice, and they might be costing out about two hundred dollars an hour for someone who's not worth 200 bucks an That's hour right. regardless of that you add up the costs add up a lot and so they need to look not only just at the the price of the admission ticket but how how much it's going to cost you for the for the ice creams and the popcorn and everything else that you consume when you go to the movies and think am i getting value for money here also happens is that people inherit a body corporate manager from the original developer and that's just the way the system, everything's set up, way to go if the, the real owners come in. Ten years later, the committee has never once said, 
are we getting value for money? Because it's just like wearing an old pair of slippers, you know, like this firm's been here from day one and are giving us good service. They never actually said to the body court manager, have, can you do this for a better price? Not, I know price is not the sole criteria. We just say, no one's asked them that Harvey Norman question, what's your best price? And then no one said, well, your competitor down the road is charging this for this, this and this, and they throw in all the other things. Can you match it? Until you start asking that question, until we have another saying too, you make them compete, makes them competitive. So they have to compete and you can find out the best value. But you have to do that in an informed way. You have to know what you're looking for that they're competing against. Mm. So it's a difficult thing, isn't it, uh, for a committee to really assess the worth of their current manager against perhaps a tender that's out there, uh, other proposals that it might uh, have to deal with, and um, how to, in fact, assess whether the current manager, who they may be um, with for some years, is offering the best service for them, um, and how to assess that against others, against cost. It's a very difficult thing um, to assess because the cost margins from say 130 to 145 dollars very very small yep can be very small i often hear people say in a fairly dismissive way or they're all bad well i always say that's just nonsense you know it's like any population group you've got 100 100 body corporate managers you might get say 10 at the top are just truly excellent you get 10 in the bottom who you really don't want then you get the other 80 that various levels of service and quality and whatever but if you'd never look as a committee, if you'd never go out into the market to find out what's there, how would you know whether or not you are getting value for money? And it's not fair to body corporate managers to say they're all bad. None of them are perfect, but there's some really excellent body corporate managers out there. Mm -hmm. you just got to go and find them. So do you have to look at skill sets maybe that the manager brings to the committee and all the inherent values that they have and knowledge uh, which, you know, in many instances is invaluable, things like dispute res resolution skills, uh, knowledge of the law, accounting knowledge, and maybe even longevity in the industry. And although that's not always the determining factor, because you can do things for 30 years the wrong way, can't you? You can have one year's experience 20 times over, exactly. rather than 20 years productive experience, I agree. Yeah, and then there's a trend, I, I guess, uh, you know, does that manager not know the law and refer everything to lawyers, and there's the cost increase there? Yep, that's, that happens, and is increasingly is happening. Um, Why do you think that is? Well, I think more and more people... I was talking to a, um, a very senior strata lawyer, one of the, the godfathers, and I don't mean in a derogatory sense, mm. of um, the doyen of strata lawyers in mm. Queensland. And I put the theory to him that the reason why more and more act owners becoming active is the baby boomers, like myself, we're educated, we've got a professional or commercial or management background, and we've got that most important and that very critical asset called time, and we're starting to look and questions are being asked. And often the questions, or the answers we get to the questions are not very good. I, as a side to this, I increasingly find committee members now know more about the law than a lot of the body corporate managers at the front. And so they're asking questions of the body corporate manager. The body corporate manager feels threatened and goes out and pays lawyers to answer questions, which really, you know, you don't need lawyers to, to give. It just gives that added cachet be a lot simpler if the body court managers just got it right in the first place. Now I'm not saying that 
lot of the questions being asked from the committee side or from the owner side have validity. Often they're coming out of left field and they're not. There's no real merit in the models either. But I do feel that the owners are much more informed now than they used to be. And I think we're playing a part in that, but I think it's just the socio-demographic of the area that people are having a look. And do you think there's a fear in maybe some managers to actually commit to a uh, a response on, on a legislative matter? And rightly, they're not engaged to be lawyers, but they're providing advice on the legislation, much like the Commissioner's Office does, and to actually commit to a certain response that may uh, perceivably uh, put them in a position where they uh, might be liable down the track. I am seeing that now generally and it's a very limited market where the body cook manager has been found wanting on a, on a number of years so they, they do get gun shy they really do gun, gun, get gun shy the problem is is where they don't recognise that they don't know it and make a very authoritative statement which brooks no question whatsoever this is and everyone says oh well he's the BCM he must know and the issues that I generally get or have, have encountered really they're not complex law questions there's some really difficult areas in the body corporate act but a lot of the stuff is just basic procedure and practical practical yeah and um, like spending limits committee spending limit major spending limit it's, it's really complicated when you first look at it. When you sit down and think about it and work your way through it and do a few scenarios, it's straightforward. It really it's bread and butter knowledge. It's bread and butter knowledge, yep. Yeah. And it's, I call it just mum and dad. I don't mean that to disparage mum and dads, but people like me should be able to understand it. People like me do understand it. And I'm finding so many people, when they take the time, understand it. And um, So whose job is it then to make those stakeholders understand these these simple things perhaps or maybe not so simple but fundamental important things well i think it's in a self-management environment the people the owners and the particularly the committee should be doing that and um, i don't know if enough committees are taking the step to sign up with the courses and the information services from the commissioner's office whether or not they're also logging into all the um, web-based um, services being offered by the various strata lawyers now. And the, there's um, one strata lawyer, very senior strata lawyer, Frank Higginson. He has, has been having a, a weekly article in the Sunday Mail, just but little issues, right? And people would read that. But then these people, these lawyers, they also have their websites. They're sending out newsletters all the time. And there's another national website, um, Get the name of it now. Where a lot of the from all around the st- all around the country, there's a lot of very useful information in there. A lot of it you don't need to know because what's happening in New South Wales law has no real relevance to what's happening here. Mm. But if you take the time and go to these services, you can learn a lot. And also, what it can do is it might give you the answers, but it will trigger a concern. It will trigger a question. Then you say, right, I'll go to the commissioner's office and ask them. Or I'll go to, for example, the Unit Owners Association and ask them. And we don't give general legal advice, we only get general advice. But we have been tapping into that broader perspective which your book offers, you know, the, um, the, the legislative law and the judicial law, putting it together and saying, this is what the adjudicators are saying, and if you go this way, you're pretty safe. There mm-hmm. are no guarantees in this law. They're the people who make the decisions are the judges and the adjudicators. Because my experience, when you're sitting at a bar table, there's a bunch of lawyers down one end and a bunch of lawyers at the other end. Half of them are wrong. 
know, mm. and it's a reasonable argument, but that's what the legal system is all about. It's yep. the person in the middle that makes the decision. Uh, well, absolutely. And certainly when you mentioned the book uh, Body Corporate Law in Queensland uh, Practice and Procedure that I found in writing that book that uh, it brought about uh, some conflicts in the law. Um, it's certainly a subject that they teach at uni, conflict of laws, but uh, when you get uh, pieces of legislation that uh, perhaps are at odds and even within the same interpretation of legislation when you get uh, one uh, decision that seemingly contradicts another it can make it very challenging and uh, and this is where we look to the higher decision the highest decision uh, but even then as lawyers uh, as you know you can distinguish decisions from one another and somehow argue that uh, well that didn't apply here uh, and this is the better uh, decision to follow. Uh, so certainly um, perhaps um, it's incumbent, whilst it's incumbent on lot owners themselves to educate themselves, uh, do you think perhaps it's, it's a matter for perhaps body corporate managers, law firms, the commissioner's office to even do more than what they're doing? There's a finite number of resources. I have a huge regard for what you've put together in this book. But I also would look at going forward. We take slices out of that book that are relevant to particular niche markets, like committees. Like they need, don't need to know about how to set up a body corporate, but they do need know how to run an AGM and what a valid and valid motion. They do need to know spending limits and all that. So if we could move towards the stakeholders, putting together materials of a slice, and say, look. Even that thing with Section 205, you mm. say the access, look, you could put together about a five, six-page article saying these are all the frequently asked questions, these are the answers, and these are the authorities, either statutory or judicial, this is, you know, confirms the, the answer. I think there's a lot of merit in that. I think people would welcome it in um, when it's presented in an easily accessible manner. And I noticed in your book, Mark, that you had a number of flowcharts. Some people respond very well to words, and that tends to be the lawyers. Other people respond to pictures. And sometimes flowcharts can be too long, too complicated. There's another way of combining the two for the appropriate market for how people learn, sorry, just by pictures and a bit of narrative. And say, so if this is where, if this works for you, this is how you can understand it. And, um, yeah, and I, I absolutely get what you answer mean. Answer your question. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and look, that's something I tried to do in the book. Um, together with um, Nazrin Jazayeri here, uh, we worked on flowcharts. And uh, one of the challenges was make it pictorial. And I think one of the flowcharts uh, we're particularly proud of is the uh, one that talks about maintenance responsibilities in different types of uh, body corporates registered under certain plans, standard format plan versus building format plan. It's a common question we see in practice, who's responsible for this part of the lot? Um, and it really depends on how the body corporate structure, doesn't it? Yep, surveyed and structured, you know, mm. which module and you know, how it's surveyed. Yeah, yeah, and uh, look, I draw upon uh, the, the flowchart and uh, the diagram we've got in the, in the textbook there and uh, absolutely do agree the pictorial representation of the law makes a world of difference, doesn't it? Yeah, I think for a lot of people it does. The answers to those questions, they're buried away in the legislation mm. and in the, and the decisions, right? Putting it together in a picture pulls it all together mm. in a pictorial frame. Putting a narrative there as well in a word frame, joining the two, most people can respond to that. And um, particularly, a, um, it's very easy when you're looking at 
researching a legal question is get drawn down into the minutiae. A flowchart gives you the overview and it might be a slice of a larger overview but it gives you a point of reference so like I need to check this point, this point, this point along that flowchart but at least I know what the connecting points are. And that's an added problem with the body corporate legislation. I've had this feedback from information officers from the commissioner's office as well. You can't just look at one little part of the, the legislation. You need to connect all the dots because often there will be several parts spread yeah. through the legislation which add together to give you the answer. If you look at one part, generally you're not looking it's at not enough. It's not a complete picture, yeah. is it? And to get a bird's eye view yeah. of, the, of the topic and see mm. how they all connect and then hone in on the bit that matters but then be aware of everything else. Yep. Uh, that's a very important uh, thing to have available at your disposal. I mentioned at your book launch that putting your hand on all the dots is like playing three-dimensional twister. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you sooner or later you run out of hands and feet and head. Absolutely. It's not easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and going to various pieces of legislation, practice directions, which by and large do mirror what's in the legislation. But uh, again, um, that can be hard to put into context um, when you've got the regulations, the act, and then the decisions themselves. Uh, it, it is a very big puzzle picture. And, uh, and then you need to look at your own facts and how that fits in after all of that so uh, there's definitely uh, complexities uh, when it comes down to that in terms of compliance where do you see the UOAQ pushing that particular issue well for us it's very important the number of times I've heard people say to me oh the act is just a guide I think they're being delusional the if you take away the body corporate legislation there is no body corporate there is no committee. It is a creature of statute. No one expects 100% compliance. But I think people should start with how do we comply and then maybe work out a practical you know, solution or work around of how to manage within the context. But to ignore the legislation, I think, is very dangerous. And as more and more owners become informed of what the law is, it's going to cost body corporates more and more to not comply. We push compliance fairly um, heavily, because mainly because people just don't know what they should be doing, and um, I think people are missing out because they it's not been done right. You mentioned before too, Mark, about or I did too about pictures, flowcharts, and stuff like that. I think is very important, but I also think in for a lot of body corporates to provide standardised, approved templates for a lot of the decision making processes and for the general general meetings and the committee meetings. I've been involved just recently in some issues and contentious issues about sinking fund budgets. And I saw a template for a sinking fund budget from New South Wales just recently where it just it resonated with me and it just followed common sense. Like, this is what we're budgeting to spend on this year. This is what we have spent. These are the variations and these are the exception reports. Now, I haven't seen anyone doing that in Queensland, but that is how I was expected to report on my budget management when I was working. And to me, it's, it's just bread and butter. That's what you do. So we had more standard form templates that if you where we could say, everyone agrees with these. If you follow them, you've got no compliance problems or you minimise them. I think things would be a lot better that they could get on with the real work of managing their complex properly making the right decisions and all that. So whose role do you think is it to produce these templates? 
who can do it, who should do it? I, I think um, the stakeholders should be working together on it. So it's not just one organisation saying this is right, but the, the stakeholders saying, yeah, we sign off mm. on this. And I think a key part of that would be the people who are putting together the software for the body corporate managers so that we get a standardised software system all mm. on these templates. And they're obviously a very key stakeholder as well, yeah. Yeah, and look, um, absolutely um, hear what you're saying there. And uh, part of um, uh, a push in body corporate law in Queensland practice and procedure, or BCLQ, that I found was uh, to endeavour to uh, inject some of that precedential value uh, to practitioners, to body corporate managers. And it's hoped that uh, they will use those because uh, you know, we've certainly tried to... Uh, use best practice model and and obviously as always using the legislation as as the underpinning guide to those but uh, I hear what you say more needs to be done and uh, to standardize industry and best practice uh, permeates from there on doesn't it for the bread and butter issues they should be standardized that's what I talked about building the quality mm. into the system you remove that element of doubt remove that element of I'm going to do something a bit different because it looks better you know, it's often it's dangerous to do that and it's mm. going to cost you money. So I think it, I, we would be doing it for our members, right? SCA would be doing that for their members. Arama would be doing it for their members. I don't see why we as a group can't agree on standard forms and standard pictures and whatever and flow charts. So we say we all agree on this. Mm. There are other bigger issues we might disagree on, but these type of bread and butter issues, we should mm. be able to put it together and let everyone have it. Mm. And and it's really globalising the the information, isn't it? Um, and having the input from all the stakeholders, um, getting their perspective, and coming up with something that is uh, you know that everyone hopefully is happy with and can use. Yep. Not every. If we put up an issue like standardised sinking fund budget, right? A number of stakeholders won't be interested. It's not part of their brief, right? But those who do have um, an interest in it, we should be able to get together and standardise it. There will be other issues that don't have a lot of relevance to the UAQ. We wouldn't be part of that discussion. We'd like to know about it, but wouldn't be part of it. So I think, but I, I do think, Mark, that what's happening now across Queensland is very encouraging. More and more people are, start, are stepping up to the plate and taking an interest, and that's the key to it. Yeah. In terms of uh, UOAQ's work, um, how do you see it, um, you know, being able to further enhance its assistance to its members um, on matters that touch on the law and practicalities and things like that? Well, first of all, we need money. <laughs> yeah. And um, the more money we have, the more service we can provide. But that's, that's by the by. We do what we can with what we've got. We're trying to do it as efficiently as we can. It's just like the Commissioner's Office. You know, They have fairly limited resources. Um, they do a magnificent job with, with what they're given. And they are adapting to new, more and efficient ways of setting it, as we are. You know, the, the change in the UAQ from five years ago, um, I think, has been quite encouraging, and we're going to keep changing. Mm. And we get a bit, a bit of a turnover in the senior executives in our group and new ideas coming in. And um, But if we can also start interacting more with the other stakeholders and share their techniques and our techniques, I think it'll be good. We started mm. doing the news flashes. We saw some of the other stakeholders doing it on a regular basis. 
they were controlling the communication process of their members, we thought we should be able to do the same with our members. I would like greater interaction with between a committee and all the owners. And um, I saw a presentation up at Maroochydore not long ago where a senior strata lawyer suggested that or noted that some committees have actually set up a website for their body corporate and everyone can put in a little platform it'll just talk to each other mm. if you don't want to listen if you don't want to participate you don't have to but everyone can rather than just running all the information through the committee or through the caretaker out everyone can talk to each other I think everyone can learn everyone will benefit from that and what about um, you know using the available resources for answering lot owners uh, about legal issues um, without actually um, necessarily giving legal advice? How do you see the UOAQ perhaps um, um, delivering up on, on the support that it uh, provides to its stakeholders? What we are trying to do is point them in the direction of where the adjudications are and some of the and the higher authorities that you've mentioned beforehand. But some of the best legal advice we give to our members now is saying, this is out of our jurisdiction. You need to bring the lawyers in. And this is increasingly happening with management rights. Um, the caretakers do not come to the table for dispute the backup of their lawyers. For any committee trying to sit down and discuss these with a caretaker backed up by very competent lawyers, They've been delusional. I use that word a lot. We say bring in the lawyer, so it's lawyer and lawyer, and then you're on an equal footing. And in terms of the um, the textbook itself, how do you see that as fitting into what the UAAQ does in terms of supporting the lot owners? Well, our association, on the day it was published, signed up for it, and we bought the electronic copy. A number of the executive members including myself, I bought the paper version and I signed up for it last August, I think it was when, it, when I first heard it was coming out and I didn't know whether it was going to be the level of what it ended up. And I just thought we need something and so I was prepared to pay the money just in case it delivered. And the word I would use to describe your book is it's a godsend. It's more than a word, but godsend. It, I think it's a game changer and it's not the end of the story. And um, certainly, hopefully, it's not the end of the story for you. I hope you will stay in with this and keep mm. pushing the book and pushing some of the other avenues for information out there. But I think, I think we've seen a watershed moment in strata law in Queensland with this book. Mm. Oh, that's great feedback. Um, you know, coming from the UOAQ, uh, great feedback, and and certainly. Uh, uh, I think uh, there's been general, real positive, uh, positivity to the actual uh, publication. Uh, we certainly look forward to, uh, you know, our continued um, working with uh, the OAQ and and yourself and and other executive members. And um, our wish is also for a more unified uh, industry. And uh, and certainly we we will be working towards that. And uh, certainly in terms of our uh, Let's Talk Strata podcast, uh, I think what you'll find is um, all these different perspectives coming from the different industry members and um, and we're hopeful that we can bring those those different things together and there's a lot of commonality in terms of uh, you know the needs 
wishes and wants of these stakeholder groups. And uh, look, uh, we're thrilled to have uh, brought you into this podcast, and thank you very much for your participation. You've brought uh, you know a lot of really interesting issues uh, uh, in this interview, and uh, you know we'll certainly look look at having you back uh, again for discussion. My pleasure, Mark. That's it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Let's Talk Strata podcast. For your fortnightly dose of Strata insights, stimulating discussion with leading Strata professionals, and to catch up on previous episodes, subscribe to the podcast through letstalkstrata.com.au.